0: Thanks for joining us in our series on the book of Ephesians. In this letter, we get a thorough view of God's cosmic plan of reconciliation and reunification in Jesus Christ. Its truths are vital for the Christian's understanding of personhood and the church. Cornerstone exists to declare and demonstrate Christ in all of life so as to make people complete in Him. All right, let's turn to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Hope y'all had a a safe and a happy new year. A big thank you to Jordan for uh, preaching to us last week. Wasn't able to be here, but uh, tuned in and listened. Man, I was encouraged by this call for us to hope in God, for us to look to Him despite the things that we see around us as we are along the way going towards this heavenly city one day. Um, It's been a good encouragement to me as I've thought, and I'm doing some reading in Dr. Martin lloyd Jones. And one of the things he talks about is the fact that the Christian life is a fight for sight. He's not just trying to rhyme. He's saying that so often in our Christian life, we so easily lose sight of God. And that's our main problem. We don't realize when we look at God, when we look back around our surroundings, instead of looking to him, we start to drown. We start to get worried. We start to fret. And I'm thankful that Jordan led us back to the word, helping us put our eyes on Christ looking to that which is immovable uh, as we can trust him. Let's go ahead and uh, read in Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. Before we do so, um, I, am just, I, was think, I was thinking about these words as we're singing, Jesus, you are all to us. And man, it's easy to say. It's so easy to say. It's easy to sing. We know the melody. But I'm thinking about my mortgage payment thinking about my children, thinking about my uh the money that hopefully will be there someday when I retire, thinking about my house that's crumbling, thinking about my cars that are breaking down. And I and I realized all these different things tug at my heart as a treasure. And yet he calls us to have him alone as the pearl of great price. And I just kind of want to encourage us as we sing these things. Man, you're, you're teaching me. That's exactly what Paul talks about here, that we would teach one another through the songs, that Jesus Christ would actually be all to us. So it's just a reminder as we go into this. Let's read the word of God. This is not my words this morning. This is Paul's, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is God's word to us, Ephesians 6, one through four. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and King, you have placed us in your church. Lord, which your Son purchased by his blood, we are unworthy wretches, and yet you have put your love on us. So we ask that you give us grace to live worthy of our vocation. Lord, we recognize as we head towards our eternal rest, that Lord we are safe in your hands. But as we travel, we know that we've been planted as vines in, in this vineyard that you have planted, but we don't want to bear no fruit. We don't want to be dead branches, Lord, we desire that we would be useful producing fruit Lord, would you prune us this day? Take off the useless junk. Lord, water us with shower of blessing and help us, Lord, as your bride, to be true, faithful, chaste, loving, pure, and devoted. Lord, help no strong affection pull us to lust after the world when we have the eternal treasure of Jesus Christ who ought to be all to us. Give us the heavenly mind that loves rightly and finds its joy in seeing the world as you do. And God, I know it's true that you've brought us to this passage where Paul teaches us about the parent and the child relationship. For many of us, this is our situation and we need to hear this word. And we ask, therefore, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that long to obey so that we might glorify you in this simple relationship. So Holy Spirit, I beg of you that you would be with us today. We need the power of God to change our hearts. Would you sanctify us this morning and bring your name glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We have come to Ephesians 6.1, which I believe is the first memory verse that I ever memorized as a child. I mean, even before, you know, John 3.16, I'm pretty sure that my parents had me memorize this verse, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I mean, it's a foundational teaching of any Christian home. It's, it's very important for us to understand where we stand within the family. So kids, I want to start really by talking to you. Each of you, I'm talking to you today. From down to little guys, all the way up to teenagers, everyone that's listening online, I want to talk to kids for a minute. Why is it so hard to be a kid in a Christian family? Why is it so difficult to, to have parents that tell you what to do and you have to obey and do the things that you're supposed to do? What's that all about? It's so difficult sometimes. We understand that it's not easy, especially when, if we're just honest, sometimes we wish our parents were a little bit cooler. We understand that we've been given those parents and that we are to obey them, but why is it so hard? And parents, now I'll turn to you. Why is it so hard to be a parent with children and be the parent that we're supposed to be? Both of these sides are difficult, right? And if we're honest, it's hard enough just to be, in general, a child or in general to be a parent. Some of us kind of long for some sort of independence where we don't have to be worried about either of those relationships. But as you join with us together today as a family worshiping God, and if you have individually trusted Christ as your Savior, there's actually even a higher calling than just being a parent or just being a child. He is addressing Christian children. Paul is addressing Christian parents. And this is a little bit different of a responsibility. It's greater. And Today, Paul will show us that being a Christian and reading the Bible and being part of a church is not just to prepare us for heaven, although it certainly is. It's actually extremely relevant for right now, the relationships that we have, the things that we take part in within our family. So today, I really want to take some time, guys, and talk about the family and talk about specifically the children and the parent relationship and how this works out. So I've seen some of your notes, uh, kids, in case you don't know this, some of your parents take pictures of your notes and they send them to me. I am impressed, and I'm actually quite convinced that they're a lot better than the ones that your parents take. But keep that up, keep showing them how to do what's right, and, and be an encouragement here to you. I'm going to give you three questions that we want to answer today, three questions I'm going to try to do. The first one is, children, how should you act toward your parent? How should you act toward your parents? What do you owe them? Uh, what what's your responsibility to them before God? That's the first one. So p- children, how should you act toward your parents? Number 2, parents. How should you act toward your children? What do you owe them? What are your responsibilities to them before God? That's the second thing. Parents, how should you act toward your children? And then the last one, we have to find out the question number 3. How in the world are we to do the things that Paul's going to answer us here? He's going to tell us how to do those things. How should we do them? How is it possible for us to fulfill the Christian commands that Paul gives us today about being Christian children or being Christian parents? So these are the three questions. I'll put them down again. Children, how should you treat your parents? Parents, how should you act toward your children? And how do we do this? I'll start by backing up a little bit, because last week, Jordan preached, and the week before that, we preached on Luke 2. So it's been a a few weeks since we've been in Ephesians. back up a little bit. We're now in chapter 4, which means we've turned the corner, well, we're actually in chapter 6, but we're in the second half of the book. Chapter 4 is that turning point. The first three chapters told us who we were in Christ. Paul kind of pulled that veil back to show us what God did in us before the foundations of the world, as he did so in Jesus Christ. And In the second half of the book, 4, 5, and 6, he's going to say, now that you know who you are, this is what you are to do. This is what we're called to do. In other words, this is how you are to live, or, in his words, how we are supposed to walk. And In the second half of Ephesians, we have five times he uses this word walk. He starts right at the beginning of chapter 4 and works through chapter 5. The last of those times is actually in 5.15, if you're reading along. He says, look carefully then how you walk, Now not as unwise, but as wise. And he doesn't just leave it up to us to figure out what that means. He's going to kind of spell that out in greater detail. But we get the most significant understanding of that when we get to verse 18. Verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is incredibly important that he is saying to us and helping us understand that what's coming after this, everything that follows, is a description of what it should look like for someone who is Spirit-filled who one is who is a genuine Christian. Now the reason that's so important for us is because we're going to be asked to do some difficult things as we go forward. By that I mean Christian obedience. And all these things are not easy or possible for the natural man. However, what we're going to learn is this is what a Christian, one who is spirit-filled, does. It's important for us to see that this last phrase in Ephesians 5.21 specifically is going to set off the rest of the things we're going to talk about today. If you remember, after 18, he said the things that we know. He said, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, praising and singing to God, thanking God for what he has done. And then, then verse 21, he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, Now, after that, from 5.22 all the way through 6.9, it's a huge section, he is going to spell that out, what it looks like. He's going to talk about, it's called the household code. These three different sets of relationships that we see very common to every society. The husband and wife, the child and parent, and next time we get together, we'll see the bondservant and the master. And we'll start to understand what it looks like for believers, for Christians, those who are filled with the Spirit, to actually reflect submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is important because actually it's the motivation for why we would do any of these things. What we're seeing here is the way that God has set it up and displayed for us to understand and helping us to actually be on display for the rest of the world to see the truth that is in God's organization, in his design, as we, his people, submit to him out of love and reverence for Christ. This submission is so important to understand that Paul will take this time to do it. And there are a couple different relationships he's going to talk about, like we said. Today, we're going to zone in on one of those, the second one, between children and parents. Not because one is weaker, Make sure we understand this. The same thing about the husband and wife. It's not because they're of less value. It's not because they're weaker. It is because this is the way that God has set it up. And it is supposed to show something about God and his people. We can't miss that this is out of reverence for Christ. We we can't do this. These are not arbitrary roles. They matter. They're meaningful. They actually do something. Our joyful obedience in these relationships display the authority of God and the submission of his people for all the world to see. Properly exercised, they are God-honoring, and they are right. So in our passage today, just four verses, Paul shows us our roles as parents and our roles as children and how we're to react and respond in true submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's start with the first question. Here we go, kids. Children, how should you act toward your parents? Now, I want you to listen for a minute. I'm going to read these verses again and you're going to see that there's two ideas, two things that he tells you to do. See if you can pick them out. Here we go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you might live long in the land. Did you catch that? Of have two ideas. You're supposed to obey and you're supposed to honor your parents. Obey your parents, honor your father and mother. Now if I was to ask, I'll bet most of you could give me a pretty good answer of what that means, to obey your parents. The Bible teaches us when your parents ask you to do something, you are to respond by doing it. Not to question and ask a million things and do this and mount your arguments why you shouldn't do it, but rather to obey. We understand this. But you and I might think, I don't really like obeying my parents. Why should I obey my parents? I'm getting a lot smarter I know a lot more things. Why should I obey my parents? Especially in things that aren't necessarily, we can sing this too if we want to. Um, Why are we um, having to do that? Why would we have to obey parents? Well, there's one thing we could just simply say because the Bible says so, which is true. But I want you to see that Paul actually gives you three reasons why you ought to respond in obedience to your parents. So let's look through this and you're gonna see it. They're pretty good reasons. First one. You should obey your parents because it's God's design. It's what he has planned. God made parents and children. He is the one that made it up. It's right and fitting in his world. This is the way that it's supposed to be. This is the way that God has made it. He made children to be born to parents and for those parents to take care of them. It's a good design. It's fitting, or as he says, it's right. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right right. He's saying that that is the way that he has established it. It's supposed to be this way. He's saying that God's design for the world is for children and parents to exist together and for parents to lead children as they grow up and obey. That children were made to obey their parents for their own good. This is his design. He's saying that God designed the world again for this way. And Just think about for a moment. A child isn't born as an adult. They start as a baby, completely helpless, not being able to take care of themselves. I can see it in this room right here. We see babies who cannot take care of themselves, up to adults as they are learning and growing and becoming more and more like they are supposed to be in maturity. And yet we see the design so clearly. The world over, it's not just for Christian children in Virginia Beach. It's for those children across the world that they would have a mother and father who would train them and they would obey and they would grow up this way. This is God's design and it's fitting. But Second, there's another reason here. You should obey your parents because when you obey your parents, you are obeying God. This is an incredible reason here. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. There are parallel examples of this. We saw this when we first started talking about uh, husbands and wife. If you remember that, and you also actually will see it when we talk about bond servants and masters. Uh, if you submit, the wives are to submit to their husbands As to the Lord. If you look back, you'll see that. And the bondservants are to obey as you would Christ. Here, for the children, you'll see they are to obey their parents in the Lord. The Bible is telling us that children are to obey their parents because true obedience to parents, this is incredible, is actually true obedience to Jesus. It is a way for you to be a Christian disciple. Think about this for a minute your parents are stewards. Or caretakers. Now, they may sometimes say to you, you'd say, why well, do I have to do this? And you said, because I said so. That's a legit excuse. You're allowed to say that, parents. But remember that the authority isn't yours. Now, I'm going to let you in know a little secret here, guys, kids. Your parents can say that only because the authority isn't theirs. The authority is actually given to them by God. Now, we're going to see the other half of this equation. Your parents have to actually do the right thing, lead you the right way, nurture you and love you and raise you up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But that is not your responsibility. Your responsibility as a child is to obey because as you do so, you obey God. This is an authority that has been vested in your parents, given to your parents to take care of you. And your responsibility is to submit and obey their leadership. Again then, it's your responsibility to obey God by obeying your parents. This is what Paul means when he tells you to obey your parents in the Lord. So that's the second reason. But the third reason, there's one more. This is where it gets good. The third reason you should obey your parents is because it's good for you. It was meant to be for your good. Uh, you take a look here. If you'll see, Paul does something a little bit sneaky. He brings in one of the Ten Commandments. It's like a... It's a, it's a A little bit of expansion, but it's something foundational that any Jewish child would know. But we also ought to know one of the Ten Commandments here to kind of further understand what he's talking about. Do you remember the Fifth Commandment? I can always kind of cheat, but I remember I I take my five fingers and I, I do a salute. It's honor your father and your mother. And this is a way to remember this. He says in Exodus 20, 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Paul takes that command and then there's a restatement in Deuteronomy 5 and he puts them together here and you can kind of see right in the middle of the verse, he kind of bends down and is like, hey, listen up, there's something even better here because he shows you that there's something going on in this command. He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Listen up, it's for your good. And then he continues to say, the rest of the verse, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. It doesn't mean that, again, that you'll be rich and that everyone will like you and that you'll be really good-looking somehow. That That's all going to come to fruition just by listening and obeying your parents. But it does mean that obeying your parents will generally bring success in living on this earth. Again, it doesn't, it's not a promise that there will be, no matter what, that you'll live a very long time till 90 years old. But he's showing the common grace of living respectfully and honoring your parents and what that brings as you grow up and to be older. Many of us, the truth is we don't understand the great privilege it is to grow up in a Christian household, to have parents who both love God and love you and are willing to nurture and love and nourish and raise you up. That's why I'm telling you that it is actually so good for you to obey your parents. If, if, you have, if, it's, if it's just enough for you to say that's what the Bible says, fine. But there's so many other good things and good reasons for you to learn and honor and obey your parents. I also point this out. He doesn't just keep it with obey. He makes it bigger than that. It's deeper than that. There's this idea of respect and reverence and honor. Children are called to honor their parents. This means that they look to them with respect, with reverence, and they're to consider them wise and deserving of your respect, children. It's right for you to do so. I will call you to this. It's right for us. And your relationship with your parents is connected with your relationship to God. As you reverence or respect and honor your parents, you do so to God. There's a very real sense that God has given you parents so that you might better understand God. Now, it doesn't mean that we are perfect in any way at all, but it helps us understand via this illustration and teaches us to obey and reverence our Father. It's certainly true, also, that children of all ages don't stop honoring their parents. Now, there is certainly a difference in the relationship. As a child grows from being a kid into the teen years to becoming an adult, I'm just going to say I am not looking forward to this time. It has to be the most difficult part of rearing children. I'm watching it over and over again in our congregation and all that are going through it. And it is hard. It's hard for you as kids because you're becoming more adult-like. You understand the responsibility that you need. It's very difficult for your parents. They don't know how to let go exactly rightly and still be responsible to do the right things. It is a difficult time, but I can tell you this. Parents, you are to continue in the thing that God has given to you to do, which is to nurture and to love and to um, discipline and instruct them until they are at maturity. But kids, if I can give you one more word, you never stop honoring your parents. This will go on forever because if you remember, Jesus talked about this. He talked about this when he was talking to the Pharisees who were kind of blaming this idea of not having to take care of their parents because they claimed korban, this idea that if all my stuff is dedicated to the Lord, I don't have to take care of my parents. It was kind of a sneaky way to get around this command. And Jesus said, you are ignoring this command. In other words, as you and I get older, actually, everyone in this room our parents, we still ought to honor and love and care for them. It is, an, it is one of those commands that will not go away. Perhaps being a child, in a sense, that time will expire. But this command will not. You will always have a mother and father. And you and I are always to honor them. Our passage doesn't necessarily speak to that transition from childhood to adulthood. Again, as I said, I believe it's one of the most difficult that we go through. But I'm confident that children who understand their responsibility to honor their parents and parents who understand their true responsibility to raise up children, there can be peace and there can be a God-honoring outcome despite the difficulty of this. But unless your parents are asking you to sin, it's right for each of you children to obey your parents and to honor them. So let me go back and give you three reasons then that I just talked about, all right? The kids, first, you should obey your parents because it is his design. God made parents for children. It's right and fitting. Number two, you should obey your parents because when you obey them, you are obeying God. And the third thing, you should obey your parents because it is good for you. When you honor your parents with respect and obedience, you are qualified to receive the promise of good life lived in wisdom according to God. This is what children are called to. And this is how they are to act toward their parents. It's a display of God's design. It's an act of Christian worship, and it is for the good of the child. But that brings us to the second question. So the first one was directed at children. The second one, though, is parents. How should you act toward your children? What is your responsibility to them? What do you owe them according to God? Well, in our passage, we have kind of two parts of the the command, two imperatives here. You'll see, do not make angry and bring them up. Those are the two parts here that he's going to explain to us. But before we get into these specifics, I think it's important that we clarify that these commands are to parents, yes, but you'll see in your illustration here in ESV, it's right. There's a different word used here. He says specifically fathers. He is going to point the finger at fathers and say you are ultimately responsible for raising your children. Now, I realize that not every family has a father per se to fill this role. And this is a terrible part of the fall that we experience. But can I encourage you, if that's your situation today, that there is grace in Jesus Christ and there is grace in the body of Christ as we look forward, even in the things that we lack, knowing that he's a good father and that he can and will take care of these needs. But that being said, guys, It's time to hear this. You need to hear this truth. You need to see that this is specifically directed to you as fathers. In verse one, the children, again, are told to obey their parents. That's a simple word that talks about both mother and father. But in verse four, he points to us as fathers specifically. He uses a different Greek word. There's no misunderstanding it. It is meant to be us, but that word does also, that that masculine word, fathers, can also be talked about as parents as well. So it doesn't exclude the uh, the mothers at all. But he is trying to help us understand that we really need to take control and responsibility as men and fathers of our household. Now, as I think this through, he changes that word on purpose to understand that fathers are primarily responsible for the raising of children. Now, this goes against the grain, often even what we default to in our own Christian walks. Oftentimes, we think of it's the mother's job to raise the children. And so many times this is wonderful and good and does happen. Oftentimes we think, though, that since the father is the one who provides for the family, that he can offload the job of raising children to the mother. Paul tells us otherwise, guys. He looks directly at us and tells us that we are to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord without angering them unnecessarily. Now, let's go back and try to answer that question. How should you act toward your children? I'm going to start with the second half of this verse and then go back to the beginning. The primary concern for a father is to bring up his children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Look at verse 4. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up, or raise them. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Guys, I'm already gone through this. <laughs> if you're a Christian husband, you already got beat over the head with what you're supposed to do as a husband. And now he says it's on you also to be the father, to raise your children up. This is seemingly impossible. In this relationship, the one that really only lasts a few years, it only lasts a certain amount of time. In the sense, like I said, it expires in one way. We are called to bring up or raise our children. It's the idea of nurturing, nurturing, nourishing, bringing a person to maturity, even by its very definition, there is kind of an end in sight. As they are raised to maturity, the time will expire. And oftentimes I believe that we end up thinking as long as I feed them and put them in a house and make sure they get through school and make sure they have enough money to get to the things that they need to, I've done my job as a dad. That is not what he calls us to today. This is a way higher calling it's the idea of nurturing them. It's, it's, it's a loving act. And again, we're one with a goal in mind. Like when we think about fatherhood, often think raising children to be adults, raising them to be capable, raising them to be uh, independent, to be good citizens in our world. Those are all right things. And the truth is that's, if you read any good book on parenting, they will be saying from a secular perspective, you should be doing these things. Raise a productive, efficient, good citizen. That's not the only thing that Paul is concerned with here. In fact, he's concerned with the bigger, larger, more ultimate question. He actually doesn't talk too much about these things, although he kind of assumes them. Paul is concerned with how we are going to do that. Paul's concerned that we raise our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's an important differentiation. In other words, we are to be raising children who understand that they are not only citizens of the world, which they truly are, but that there is a God, they were made by him, they are accountable to him, and that there cannot be salvation or joy without Jesus Christ. This is what it means to actually understand and be raised in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. It's an understanding of ultimate reality. Your job as fathers is to teach them how the universe really works. And I'm not just talking about dumping a bunch of data. I'm talking about raising them and helping them to understand who God is and how we are to respond to him as people. He's saying it's our job to truly help them see that this is my father's world, that we operate here as human beings under the authority of God, whether we want to or not, that everyone does, we are to show them God and to instruct them in living before him. Paul is saying that we must bring them then in the, uh, I'm sorry bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. If you like me, I learned it in the old King James version it said uh, that bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, also a good way to say it. In my own translation this week, I I like this idea where you're bringing up in the training and warning of the Lord. The idea here is both reactive and proactive. This is what I mean by this. In other words, there will be times when your children do things that you need to react to and say, whoa, 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 don't go over here. This is gonna harm you. Let me tell you why. Because there's times as a parent that you need to guard your children, for sure. But that's not the most important. That's not actually the word he even uses here. He says, warn them. Because there's going to be a time when they're out of your house. There's going to be a time when they're doing something completely different. Even when they're in your house, guess what? You don't have all rights over them to do it. Sometimes it's easier for us to like, just isolate the child and make sure that they don't have any problems happen to them. But guess what? They're individuals before God. It is not our sole motivation to make sure the end goal is that they would be kept, that they would be guarded. No. Our call as fathers instead is to instruct them to react and say, don't go over this ditch. Not to keep them from the ditch. We can't. Rather to say, this ditch will hurt you. Don't go over here. This is what the word of God says to do. That's the warning that he's talking about, a reaction and saying, these are bad choices. And you all know what I'm talking about in your own lives. You've watched it in your own kids if you have children. And you're seeing them make decisions and my my tendency is to jump and say let's cut that off and make sure it never happens again gentlemen uh, wives too listen we are to warn our children about how this will harm them and why ultimately is bad for their soul so we react but there's another side to this it's the proactive it's not just like we could take one approach or the other that's why paul tells us both things he is saying also we are to instruct, to train, to discipline, to go through the rigors of your household constantly learning and knowing the way of the Lord. And I'll be honest, this is the part that is scary, and I show constantly my failure as a father. I can see my inadequacies. I can see the problems that I've had, and I've seen where sometimes I'll try to do some things and they don't work out, and then I'll just discourage discouraged and I'll just toss it and get back to normal. So my question, especially to the fathers today, how do you do this? How do you do this thing that he has called us to? Fathers, we really need to take time and think about how before God we will answer this. Did you raise up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? I'll give you three softball things to do. Real easy. You should all know them. Here they go. Number one, fathers, Lead your family in family worship or devotions. Really simple. Really hard. I speak almost as a hypocrite. It's so hard. I promise I know when we sit down and we try to do it after dinner, it is like pulling out my own teeth and hair and everything else, try to get people to sit in their seats, let alone listen to them to hear about the substitutionary atonement. Right? It is hard to be a parent. Like, I, 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 I so easily fail at this. And yet we're called to train them. Guys, you need to lead your family in family worship. What I'm talking about is not rocket science. I'm not talking about you have to go through all of Calvin's institutes. I'm talking about learning to read the Bible from hearing dad and mom do it. For them to hear you pray to God sincerely. For them to understand that a family sings to the Lord if they're spirit-filled people. I'm not talking about anything crazy. I'm talking about things that we know actually Christians do. So I'll call you to this, men. You need to lead your family in family worship and devotions. Another thing. Number two, bring your family to corporate worship. This is an important part of the life of your family. For them to understand that they are committed, if they're a believer, if they're truly an individual who knows Christ, they need to understand their commitment to the rest of the body of Christ. It's a beautiful thing to see parents loving their children by bringing them, although it is inconvenient and difficult to church regularly to worship God together. I realize that, that there's reasons why we don't come sometimes for one reason or another. It's, I understand that. My point overall is continue to bring your children with you to worship with God's people. Then the third thing, it's a little bit more nebulous, but We need to offer individual instruction that's appropriate for the needs of our children. What I mean is, you should be the one that talks to them about money. You should be the one that talks about sex. You should be the one that talks about the problems they're having at school with this thing or that thing. We ought to offer that to our children, not as a goods and service, but to help them understand how that works within God's ultimate reality. In all these areas, we are teaching our children, even if we're not teaching them. We are teaching them. So it's really important, fellas, that we take this time seriously. And mothers, you are to be involved with this. This is not something that's just the dads and you're like, hey, good luck, guys. Hope this goes well. This is both of us together. First of all, we know we're one. And we understand that. And oftentimes, God has given us good resources to do this together. In many ways, there's much more time that's spent by a mother doing these things. However, the Father is the one who's responsible and will answer for the raising of the children in this specific way. Now let me go back to the first half of the verse. Guys, I don't know if you're like me, but after hearing something like that, when I'm, I'm, I'm man, I was hearing this all week and thinking this through and being convicted over and over again, and I was really like, okay, I'm gonna do this thing. I'm gonna commit to it. I'm gonna love my family, and I'm gonna raise them right, and I'm gonna do all these things. And I've done this before in my life where I'll do that, and like, Every hill is a hill to die on then. Like I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this thing and you're going to obey over here and you're going to obey over here and this is how it's got to go to the point where I become an authoritarian. And I'm more concerned with them obeying than I am with raising them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is why Paul starts us off by saying, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. If our agenda is the thing that makes us parent, if it's like we're trying to get them to look a certain way, we have to remember, I'll just say it this way for myself, my goal is to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, not in the way of the Lowndes family. It's not for me to come out saying, hey, they learned from me, this is how they're going to be. I'll just throw this out, guys. This is a real temptation for us. It's a real temptation because we want our kids to look a certain way. We want them to be a certain type of people. But I'll just throw this out. No, you don't. You want them to look like Jesus Christ. You want them to be changed because Jesus has changed them. You want them to look like them. But the fact that Jesus Christ has conquered them. You don't want them all to look cookie-cutter the same way because they came out of your house. You actually want them to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit that they would make decisions and that it would work with their own personalities. So don't crush their spirits. Don't make them angry about things that don't matter. And don't get me wrong, just just a quick side note here. Your children are still going to get angry and it's going to be right because you're going to tell them the truths about the scriptures. You're going to nurture them and you're going to raise them in the the instruction and discipline of the Lord. And they're not going to like it. You know why? Because they're sinners. It shouldn't surprise us. But what we're seeing here is he's reminding us that shouldn't be the thing that makes them so angry. The thing that, if they, I mean, that, that, that thing might be the thing that makes us so angry. What shouldn't happen is us pushing our own agenda that makes them angry, that provokes them to frustration and struggle. We recognize that the teaching of the Scriptures may frustrate our children, and it may take time as we pray for them to trust Christ and to grow and to do what is right. But don't push them so hard in the ways that we see them trying to look like us that it frustrates them and makes them so angry. I can, I'll just, I'm, I'm putting myself out here, I can so easily wield my authority in areas that do not matter and then not use my authority in the things that matter. Don't let that be true of you. Look to Christ. And Paul says that as we raise our children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, that we are to do so in a manner that keeps them from being unnecessarily angered. All I have to say about all that for both you kids and for us as parents is, wow, how in the world are we possibly supposed to do this? If anyone here doesn't have that same reaction, either you're very close to heaven or you're arrogantly deceived, one or the other. This is an impossible task, just like everything else in Christian discipleship. So the question here, number three, so we did the first one, children, how should you treat your parents? Parents, how should you treat your children? Number three, parents and children. And by the way, let you know the secret everybody else, this applies to you too. How should you do this? How should you obey? How do we do Christian discipleship? How is it possible for us to fulfill Christian commands? There's only one answer. And we know this can only be done as we rely on the Holy Spirit of God, the one who fills us. It's here that we have to go back to our context, right? This isn't just, I'm not just pulling this out of the air. Paul's already told us this in verse 18 from chapter 5. He's helping us understand the natural man, the one who hates God and does not have the Holy Spirit living inside of him, can't do the things that we talked about today. Only a person who has been filled by the Holy Spirit can actually fulfill these Christian commands before God. There may be a form of godliness for us. We may think that we're doing the right things, but only when the Spirit empowers us can we obey God in this exact way. In 5.18, we saw Paul call us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit. And then everything after that that follows is a description of what being filled with the Spirit looks like in a Christian. He says that the Spirit-filled people, a.k.a. genuine Christians, that's what he's saying here, will address other Christians with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They'll sing to the Lord, they'll thank the Lord, and they will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ even to the point that the child and the parent relationship works, that we can actually do the things that he has called us to do. He's talking to us about what Christian life looks like and helping us understand that Christian children obeying their parents in the Lord isn't a natural phenomenon. It doesn't just happen. It can only be done through the Spirit's work. And he's saying that parents, specifically fathers, who love and nurture and raise their children up in instruction and discipline of the Lord without unnecessarily angering them, is a supernatural act. There's no explanation for that actually being done well outside of the fact that the Holy Spirit is doing this. I will remind you that, in other words, he is saying that only true Christians can obey these commands from the heart. He's not talking about two different types of Christians. He's not talking about Christians who aren't filled with the Holy Spirit, they disobey, and those that are filled with the Holy Spirit, they obey. No, he's talking about Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit, that they obey Christ. A genuine Christian, one who is filled by the Holy Spirit, must understand that his obedience is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God himself, and thus must only look to him for strength to obey. And thus, we aren't looking for some Holy Spirit experiential ministry of something where we come together and something amazing and phenomenal happens. The amazing part is we are looking to obey God in everyday life as we rely on the Holy Spirit. If we understand this passage, we are seeing that the Holy Spirit is evident and powerful and working in us when we obey and trust Him. That's the magic. It's the Holy Spirit. It's Him conquering our hearts and empowering us to do what is right. If we understand this, we understand that Christian obedience is no mundane thing. It's actually supernatural. So, I'll go back to the question. How are Christian children and Christian parents supposed to obey the commands that we've learned today? The answer is tied up in the question then. How do you and I make the Holy Spirit fill us? How do we get filled by the Holy Spirit? We talked about this in 518 for a long time. I'll just answer you this. Being a Christian calls us to 100% rely on God to do the work. It's called faith. Also, 100% participation on our part through faith. In other words, stepping forward in this same acts of obedience he calls us to. We are responsible to be filled by the Holy Spirit, but we're completely at his mercy to do so. We can't make him do it. What can I do but fall to him in faith, asking him to do a work in me and move forward in obedience. This is just a quick pastoral note, okay? Uh, I don't think it is wise for us to wait on the Spirit in a sense of like an Amazon delivery. I'm going to pray a few days, I'm going to wait a couple days until I obey about this thing. That's not what he's calling us to do. He is calling us to step forward in obedience and reliance on the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again, I know there's distractions. distraction, it's okay. I understand that what he's calling us to do is not wait a few days until we obey, he is calling us rather to step forward in God-honoring, reliance on the Holy Spirit, obedience. Same day. We're not talking about same day of the liver like we still wait a few hours. No, now, as I trust him and call him to help me, I walk forward in obedience. How can a Christian child obey their parents in the Lord? Kids, here we go. Ready? You must rely on God for help as you obey your parents in the Lord. How can a Christian parent bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord without unnecessarily angering them? Guys, we must rely on God for wisdom and strength as we bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the essence of Christian obedience. Again, it's not just about being parents or children. It's for any act that we are called to do as a Christian. Praise be to him, he empowers us. It is all of grace it is not of our effort, and yet we strive. It is right for us to wholly, wholly strive in him, that we would trust him completely and have effort in these things that God has asked us to do. It's purposeful and deliberate. This is the truth for all of Christian discipleship. So a Christian is serious about obedience and holiness, but every part of our lives, we trust him. We rely on him, and that's why the Christian life is not about identifying all the gross and terrible sins within our lives and getting rid of them. What does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The purifying love of God, knowing him completely, takes these other things, and we know automatically that they're wicked. We're not trying to be moralists. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit alone, looking to God, loving him completely. So Christian parents, raise your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord as you trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Christian children, obey your parents in the Lord as you trust the power of the Holy Spirit. And in each part of our lives, let us act as ones who rely on God for everything. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we need you. We ask for your your comforting love, your tough rebuke, your care for us, because we are surely your children. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, but we desire to be made whole. Oh, God, would you bring us revival in our own hearts that we would love you completely, would follow you, Lord, that we would obey you. And Lord, may we be a display for the world to see the thing that is different is not that we're really good at following rules, but that Jesus Christ lives in us through his Holy Spirit. We want the name of Jesus Christ to be praised, that it would go and echo throughout the whole earth. We ask that it begin as we go home today, as we help, and as we help our children grow, as our children obey, and as we rely on your Holy Spirit to do that work in us. thank you for your great grace. Oh Lord, we thank you and thank you and thank you for the Bible, for your Holy Spirit, for the love of Jesus Christ through his people. We praise you and ask for your help in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For further sermons and more information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.